2: Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katz, he is here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. Uh, we have Dr. Peter Michalos. How are we going to live longer? And uh, then we have General John Teichert on what the heck is going on in the Middle East? Roger Stone. Politics? My God, what a mess. And uh, why don't we start off the show with Senator Rick Scott on his concerns about what's going on in america what is the is united states senator rick scott senator uh, happy new year and we all pray for a good year but we have so many problems in our country in the world uh... where would you like to start uh, i think one of the most important ones is our borders why why can't the the u.s senate the Republicans and the Democrats get together and say, enough is enough. We can't handle all these people just invading us.
0: Well, John, first off, Happy New Year. And, for, and on the border, I completely agree with you. This doesn't make any sense. Just remember, we have a majority in the House. It takes 60 votes to pass legislation in the Senate. And so in the Senate, they have to get nine Republicans to pass anything. And so if we, if the border is important to us, then we can make that happen. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, Schumer and McConnell have been passing things uh, with the 50, 51 Democrats and just a few Republicans, and this has got to stop. We've got to say, we're not gonna do anything else. We're not gonna do Ukraine funding. We're not gonna continue funding our federal government. We're not gonna do anything unless we get a, a secure border. The Biden administration is lawless. They don't care what the laws are. So when we say secure the border, it doesn't mean, oh, we have a new policy that Biden uh, ignores. What we have to say is the number of people crossing our border and staying goes down. Trump was able to do it with the exact same laws that are in place today. We don't need a new law. We need we need enforcement of the law. And so that's what I'm going to work on. There's a lot of us working on it. I know the Speaker of the House went down to the border yesterday with 60 Republicans, and my understanding is they are in the House, they're completely committed that we're gonna have a secure border or we're not gonna continue to pass legislation.
2: I can understand the Chief Executive Officer of the President of the United States, Joe Biden, is keeping those borders open along with his Homeland Security uh, uh, Secretary of Mayorkas, but why can't the U.S. Senate, I mean, the Democratic Senate, there's got to be some common sense there, and i that's the part I don't understand why we keep the invasion coming. And, you know, we talk about well, the no, rule.
0: Go ahead. John, there's no, the Democrats don't care. I mean, there's not, we, the Democrats have all voted. Okay, they continue to support Joe Biden in everything. They never block anything he's doing. They are completely on board. They're acting in a lockstep. Schumer has them acting like little robots that whatever Biden wants, that's what they get. Biden wants an open border. I don't know why he wants an open border. I don't know why he wants terrorists in our country. I don't know why he wants criminals in our country. I don't know why he doesn't care about the rule of law, but Biden does not care. It's a clear and present danger. We've had over 6 million people cross our border unvetted. We brought 70,000 people in from Afghanistan unvetted. We've got thousands of people coming from Iran, from Lebanon, from communist China, unvetted into our country, right? Um, this director of the FBI admitted to me in a, in a hearing, and he's made sense to others, that he's concerned that with this open border, we have terror cells all across our country. This is a risk. It's a risk to your family, my family, every family in this country. We have got to say the number one thing to do when we get back up there on Monday is to secure the border. Now, we talk about the rule of law. The Supreme Court
2: has voted uh, about uh, uh, reducing the amount of money owed by student loans that the president does not have the power to do. It has to be Congress. Well, the president is ignoring it where is the rule of law in our country is that going to be a constitutional crisis that uh, that the uh the chief executive officer of the united states the president of the united states is ignoring the supreme court
0: absolutely i mean look at look at what's going on in our country so we have a biden administration that is completely lawless okay they don't they they decide what laws they like what laws they don't like they don't care what the supreme court decides uh, the Supreme Court made a decision with regard to um, to the border. They just don't comply with it. They said that you can't just willy-nilly uh, eliminate somebody's debt. I mean, you if you went and borrowed money, okay, to go to school, you owe your money back. It's as simple as that. What you know is it is it fair that somebody paid off their loan and you didn't? That Did they do they get their money back now, or what if somebody said, well, that was going to be too much money? I don't want to do it. Did we give them a bunch of money? I mean, this is not. fair. There and it's not it's it's not it's not part of the rule of law. But the Biden administration is lawless, and Democrats lockstep will not hold them accountable at all in what's going on. And and
2: what happens is uh, he stands up and says, "Look, uh, I promised you the money. I want to give you the money, and the Republicans fall because they stopped me. And and it, it just becomes a."
0: A, a, a unbelievable go-round. You know, but voters are smart, right? Voters know that there's no free lunch. Voters know that anytime government gives you anything, it comes out of somebody else's pocket. If there's nothing free out of this. And what we need to go back to is a rule of law where, you, you know what? People like you that busted your butt your whole life, okay? Right? You know, that, we want people to, to wake up like you did as a kid and say, I can be anything. I don't even have to be born in this country. I can be anything I want to be because of this great country. But guess what? If government runs everything, that's not gonna be the case. And look at where we are now. We have thirty-four trillion dollars worth of debt. Right? The inflation is not gonna go away, right, if we cannot live within our means. The the federal government spent two and a half trillion dollars more than it brought in last year. Two and a half trillion dollars. That's going to cause more inflation. It's going to cause interest rates to go up. We have the highest credit card interest rates on record. Look at mortgages are now over 7%. Right? Car loans, uh, it's almost the highest it's ever been. We have more defaults on our credit cards, more defaults on our, on our uh, car payments uh, than in a long time. So the economy, and by the way, we're not creating full-time jobs. We're creating part-time jobs. So this is Biden economics. Economics are not working. And so we've got to we've got to we've got to get back to the rule of law and give people opportunity there's no guarantee of success you busted your butt i mean and that's how you got ahead that's what we need that's what we want in this country uh
2: senator uh texas governor abbott is trying to protect his citizens in texas one way or another maybe us new yorkers don't like one of the ways but he's doing the best he can for the state of texas and a few days ago, uh, he uh, uh, he got sued by the federal government. I mean, how is that going to sort itself out?
0: Well, I, I think he has an obligation to protect. and Greg Abbott has an obligation to protect his citizens, and you know, look, he's he's doing what he should do. I mean, the Biden administration has allowed a, a lot of uh, migrants into his state, and then you know what? There's probably a lot of wonderful people that want to come and live our dreams. They ought to come in a legal way. I'm, I'm a pro-immigration person. I live in a state that we like immigration, legal immigration. And I think Greg Abbott is in the exact same position. But what we don't want is we don't want people to come here illegally that we can't vet. We want to know who's coming to our country. It is our country. And people work their butts off to become in this country the right way, and that's what should happen. And, by the way, Eric Adams so all these other people in New York City said that New York City was a sanctuary city. Well, gosh, you know, I guess it's only a sanctuary city on paper because when they, when they have the obligation now to do what they said they believed in, they don't want to live up to it.
2: What is on your mind? What, what, what keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, oh, God. You
0: tell us. So here's the things that I worry about every day. Number number one, I worry about communist China. I worry about terrorist cells in our country. Um, One one thing I've, I've worked hard to do in the last five years is to make sure we stop buying things from China. Here's the latest: China sells garlic into our country through our grocery stores. It's made in sewer water. It's bleached to make it white so it's not it's not healthy so what i'm trying to do is get every american to understand one the quality of products that come from china are horrible it's not good for your family number two everything you buy from commerce china helps them build their economy so they can go demolish our way of life and so i'm focused on that right now the red sea is a real concern uh, what's happening in the red sea uh, this could this could this could escalate a lot and it's because we have a weak present. the hoodies are a terrorist organization and they need to be called the terrorist organization and they need to be demolished, just like Hamas needs to be demolished. Senator, you have an election this year, don't you? Absolutely. This is this is a, this will be my first uh, reelection in the Senate. Uh, and so we're working hard. I appreciate everybody's support. You can go to rickscott.com and and volunteer because we're going to need a lot of volunteers to make sure we get our votes out. But we're going to work hard to make sure we have a big win. Uh, this year's republic you know, this Florida has become a Republican state, but you have to get your votes out.
2: Uh, Rick Scott, Senator, I'm going to be going to rickscott.com. And because you are a common sense U.S. Senator and you want the best for our country, thank you so much for coming on and we'll catch up again real soon.
0: I right, see you, John. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
2: This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. Table.
2: With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, our in-house genius, our in-house historian, and medical expert. Dr. Peter Michalos, uh, what is going on in the world of medicine?
3: Well, today we're going to talk about a very interesting phenomenon that's affecting 7% of people who have COVID. And it's estimated that uh, several million people have it in the United States called long-haul covid And what that is that after people get an infection with COVID, they seem to get this constellation of symptoms that include fatigue, memory loss, brain fog, heart palpitations, dizziness, and uh, other disturbances, including GI gastrointestinal problems. And they think that this uh, long-haul COVID is a response to the spike protein, which is what's called an antigen, which is your body is attacking and interestingly, that same antibody that you generate against COVID seems also to attack the outer lining of the heart. And that's why people are having strange heart inflammation. And at first, they thought people were just making it up. People were filing for disability. But then studies were done, and they found that there were blood tests called biomarkers that showed inflammation was going on in the body and related to this uh, problem. Another interesting fact is the people who had the earlier Delta variants, they're the ones who had more of a problem. The people with the Omicron or newer variants are not having it as much. There are even centers around the country that are opening up to treat long-haul COVID centers. The problem is with modern medicine, a doctor has only 10, 15 minutes. They don't have the time to do all the blood tests, have a detailed plan on how to deal with this. Sometimes you even have to use things called steroids and prednisone to reduce the inflammation. And I was just recently having a discussion with someone who's an expert in uh, long-haul COVID, Dr. Magdalena Swarczewski in uh, Southampton, New York. And she was talking about that sometimes it can take months and you basically have to set up a treatment protocol and someone who's going to take the time to look at all the biomarkers and try to get your health back because people are being affected. And some of the medicines that they're using include intravenous things like glutathione, which has been found to be depleted in patients with COVID. And that's one of the things that they are treating people to help their lungs. It seems to boost the lungs. And uh, of course, you and I talked about the importance of vitamin D levels and the people with lower D levels were having more admissions to intensive care units and more problems. So this is going to be a problem for our country because so many people are filing for disability based on long-haul COVID, and it turns out to be a real problem. The other very fascinating thing is the people who are catching COVID and long-haul COVID, it seems to reactivate these viruses called Epstein-Barr virus and mononucleosis, which is something that we really haven't seen with other viruses. And as you and I talked about, we seem to have uh, very, very interesting very interesting uh, problems with um these viruses, because people are having problems that are lasting months and months and breathing problems, and they go and people have to see, they think they have to see psychiatrists because they think they're having panic attacks, but it's not. It's a long-haul COVID causing palpitations. And these viruses, you know, like we talked about, viral intelligence, quite amazing that this virus knows that when there's an infected cell, it bypasses it and goes and jumps to the next cell. So we're going to be hearing a lot more about long-haul COVID. We'll continue to update our audience on the Cats Roundtable for the new year and uh, with continued health tips to try to keep people healthy. So test early, treat early. There are good antivirals, and um, hopefully we'll uh, get through this, and eventually the COVID will uh, burn out and become less problematic.
2: Have, I, I, have they found any particular uh, markers that you, you'll know, uh, is, it the, is it internal inflammation that's a, a good marker to look for?
3: Yeah, there are markers for inflammation, including uh, C-reactive protein, homocysteine levels, uh, ESR, the sedimentation rate, and they're finding these unusual uh, markers. And some of the people with COVID even have an elevation of something called D-dimer, which is associated with increased clotting. And when you have these microclots in the lung, guess what? It affects your ability to breathe. So we are seeing these unusual uh, clots with COVID. It seems to, there was a study done in Ireland at the Royal College of uh, Surgeons in Ireland, and they found that the spike protein stimulates the cascade of clotting. So that's a very interesting phenomenon that you have this virus that likes to cause clots. And there are very few things in nature that, make us clot more like one of the things that was recently discovered when people are stressed out and that's why a lot of men wake up with a lot of stress and women and they have heart attacks they found that when you're stressed out it's an ancient uh, blood phenomenon you anticipate being attacked by an animal and your clotting system goes into overdrive in anticipation of being bitten or bleeding and you actually get more heart attacks and strokes when you're stressed out because you're actually clotting more so staying hydrated is extremely important Keeping our blood running thinner, people, when they're dehydrated, shoveling snow, playing tennis out in the heat and sweating, they get more heart attacks and strokes because your blood thickness, viscosity is higher. That's why it's so important to hydrate and uh, have your annual physical, continue to um, see a good doctor. And unfortunately, now the way the healthcare system is, unless you have a private doctor or a family doctor or a concierge doctor or an integrated medicine doctor, you're not going to get the attention sometimes that you really need.
2: Is there any particular test if I if I went to my my average physician? And is there any particular test uh, to look out for uh, to uh, determine if there's inflammation in any parts of the body?
3: Yeah, absolutely. As we just discussed, all the uh, inflammatory markers like the C-reactive protein and the uh the uh, level, the uh, sedimentation rate, and also the white blood cell count. When you see it elevated, you sometimes see your lymphocytes, and these are all protective uh, cells that we are part of our immune system. And basically, when they're in overdrive, it's telling you that something's going wrong in the body. And that's one of the reasons they give the steroids, because prednisone reduces inflammation, but it's not the long-term solution because there are side effects of prednisone, including cataract, elevated eye pressure, thinning of the bones, thinning of the skin, increased bruising and bleeding. So it's a balancing act, and that's why you need a doctor who's going to spend a lot of time and and, uh, just, you know, discuss everything with you.
2: Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you so much uh, for making our listeners uh, wiser, and possibly maybe they'll live longer by becoming wiser. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, John, for always helping us get the truth out on the Cats Roundtable.
2: This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. us today? is former Brigadier General John Ataykut, also known as Dragon, uh... he was assistant deputy uh... undersecretary at the air force on international affairs and and you're running for the united states senate in maryland congratulations and uh... tell us uh, the american people are very very confused uh... all all the uh... terrorist groups were dead and all of a sudden they're living again uh... give us a report uh, general on, uh... Where, where are they coming from? Who's paying them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera?
4: John, absolutely. Happy New Year, and thanks for having me on again. You are right. We are seeing groups pop up that we thought that we had defeated, in a large part because when America is weak, we fail to put the pressure on these areas of the world that foster the malicious activity that should concern Americans. And we've been talking a lot for the last three months about Iran that supports many groups around the world in Yemen, in Syria, Iraq, Lebanon. But now we're starting to see ISIS creep up again because America is weak. And again, when we show weakness, other groups that are opposed to our interests fill the void.
2: Uh, Understood. Now, uh, in the last week or so, uh, all of a sudden, al-Qaeda has uh, popped up. And uh, uh, we thought they were gone, and, uh, uh, and basically al-Qaeda is uh, Shiites. And then all of a sudden the attack on Iran uh, popped up, and the uh, ISIS people, a uh, terrorist group uh, uh, who are Sunnis, took credit for it. Uh, and we thought they were gone. Give us an explanation So the American people realize there's a war going on, an internal war in the Muslim world between the Shiites and the Sunnis, because I don't think they understand that correctly. And then Iran is funding uh, Hamas and funding uh, uh, the other two groups. Give us your,
4: in in simple language, so the American people can understand it. John, the reason why there are still American troops in Syria and Iraq, in Syria about 800 American troops, in Iraq about 2,500 American troops, very small numbers, is because we acknowledge that while these groups are largely defeated, they're not destroyed. They're ideas, and they hide in the seams where no one can control territory, and they're ready to pop up and do damage not just within the Middle East, But within the West and within the United States, if we don't keep constant pressure on them – and it's a hodgepodge of groups. Like you said, there are some that are Shia and some that are Sunni. There are some that are supported by Iran. There are some that self-support. But the challenge is that all of these groups ultimately would love to do harm to the United States of America – and unless we can continue to pressure them, then they're going to pop up and ultimately do far more damage than even what we've seen in the last couple of weeks or so.
2: And what I've said to people is when the price of oil doubled uh, during the last year or two, uh, all of a sudden the, uh, the OPEC nations and, uh, became zillionaires again, and they used that excess money to fund uh, the terrorist groups. I mean, I I don't understand. Is, Is that their hobby?
4: To some extent, especially when we look at Iran and the fact that President Obama essentially gave Iran, that's the largest state sponsor of terrorism around the world, $150 billion to enter into the nuclear deal, that just allows them to fund this mischief that is all around the Middle East and that ultimately can bleed out into places like Europe and the United States. And unless we are there and holding their feet to the fire to be responsible uh, um, individuals or nations within the world stage, and once we demonstrate weakness, then they're just going to use our weakness against us to support these groups even more.
2: Understand. Uh, and uh, give us a, your your uh, analysis now. We, we, we talked about these new terrorist groups that all, oh, have already – it looks like they've been funded, and they're out there uh, recruiting and getting paid by uh, somebody. Um, uh, you, you have uh, give us a Ukraine,
4: Ukraine, Putin. Where do we stand on that, John? I think we've got to go back to the beginning of the Biden administration, and a couple things happened. Number one. They were begging Iran to re-enter the nuclear deal, which essentially told Iran that America was weak and that they could sow seeds of mischief around the world and especially in the Middle East. And Putin was watching. And there's a very direct link between our feckless withdrawal from Afghanistan and Putin's determination to go in to Ukraine, knowing that America and Europe would not do anything without American leadership. And, again, all of these trouble spots in the world, and whether it's the Western Pacific or the Middle East or even some um, unrest that is going on in South America or Eastern Europe, can stem back to the fact that when America is weak, people take advantage of it.
2: Understood. Uh,
4: Netanyahu,
2: what is his latest strategy, in your opinion,
4: on, on the Gaza So from the very beginning, uh, after October 7th, that Israel has had three primary objectives. Number one has been to defeat and destroy Hamas. Number two has been to regain uh, the hostages. And number three has been to deter other areas around Israel from attacking in full force. But right now, Netanyahu has to start thinking about the long term beyond those three objectives and incorporate in a strategy that allows Israel to sow the seeds for long-term stability within Israel and the region. And right now, Netanyahu has fallen short in achieving that objective because of his unilateral focus on the first three.
2: Understood. Now, uh, with with Iran being Shiites and created the problem by having Hamas attack Israel, uh, and, be, and it, they did that— because they were afraid the, that the Saudi arabians and Israel were getting together. So instead of Israel attacking Iran, did the Saudi types or the Sunnis hire ISIS to hire to, to go after Iran?
4: John, I don't think that we specifically know the complicity, complicity of Saudi Arabia, with respect to this latest attack in Iran and ISIS. But what I do know is that while there is a lot of turmoil that has all been caused by Iran right now for the last three months in the Middle East, several of those Arab countries like Saudi Arabia have given Israel sufficient latitude because they know that Iran is the real big threat in the region, and ultimately a partnership with Israel is in their best interest. And none of those countries that have partnered with Israel, starting with the Abraham Accords and President Trump's idea back in 2019 and 2020, none of those countries have pulled out of those types of agreements because they know in their long-term benefit that a partnership with Israel is good for them because ultimately Iran is going to continue to attack them in ways that are subtle through their proxies, like we have seen in the last three months.
2: Now, let's talk about your U.S. Senate race. You're one knowledgeable person. Uh, you were uh, a, a general in the Air Force and uh, Space Command. Uh, you, uh, you know about international uh, uh, the problems that we're having. Uh, when did you decide to run for the U.S. Senate in Maryland?
4: John, I retired from the United States Air Force a little over a year ago. But I made the decision two years ago when I was watching a guy that I had been mentoring for 10 years take command of the Air Force Thunderbirds, the demonstration team for the Air Force. And he was up on stage, and he pointed to the huge American flag behind him, and he said this. If that starts to falter, you do not walk away. You engage with everything you've got, and you fight to bring it back. And it was that trigger point that told me that if I really meant – my love for our country, and support of the oath to support and defend the Constitution, then I had to do everything I could to support it. And that meant getting out of the Air Force and engaging in every possible way that I could to fight to bring back our nation to its founding principles. And the first right step to do that is for me to run for United States Senate here in the great state of Maryland. And uh, tell us your website that uh, you're running. dot t e i c h e r t f o r T e i c h e r t f o r Maryland, M-A-R-Y-L-A-N-D. I ask your listeners that this is such a critical race because it could flip the entire United States Senate to a conservative Republican majority, and that's why all Americans should care about it. And I would ask that everybody to follow along, to share with their network, and to donate as they see fit.
2: Well, General Teichert, uh hopefully uh, you, uh, uh, you're successful in your U.S. Senate
4: uh, when is the first primary? Is there a primary? There is a primary. I don't think it's going to be very contested, but it's the beginning, uh, the middle of May, and then the general election is in November. But I'll tell you, our country needs leaders, not politicians, to wrestle us back to where we belong, and that's what I intend to do.
2: We agree 100%. Good luck and in the new year. Uh, help save America. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the round table. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is Roger Stone. Uh, He's been in uh, politics forever and ever. Uh, Roger, uh, Happy New Year. How are you
1: today? Happy New Year, John. Great to be with you. A great show coming up later today. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. Who filed the ethics complaint against the judge who ruled against Rudy Giuliani without ever affording him a trial uh, in that defamation case, joins me. Uh, it's also this coming Tuesday, January 9th, will be President Richard Nixon's 111th birthday, so former Nixon aide Monica Crowley joins me. Uh, and then lastly, Nick Bryant, who was the first investigative journalist in the country to uncover the Jeffrey Epstein scandal joins me. That's all on The Roger Stone Show from four to six this afternoon. Well, I will be listening. Uh, Also, you came
2: out this week with the best dressed list. Uh, Tell us uh, the reactions
1: you have uh, received. Uh, You know, John, this is a tradition I picked up from the late Mr. Blackwell. He was a syndicated columnist out of Hollywood. And for 48 years, he would produce a list of the best and worst dressed people uh, in the world. Uh, When he died in 2008, uh, I used to enjoy this so much that I picked up the tradition. So now uh, with two years off, but for 15 years, I have produced such a list. Uh, you know, I try to be nonpartisan There's nothing political about this at all. So Mayor Eric Adams, his politics are not mine. We probably don't agree on much. But I have to admit, he's one of the best-dressed people in the country, certainly the best-dressed mayor since, oh, I don't know, Bo James, Jimmy Walker. Uh, now, some, including our own uh, Sid Rosenberg, have quibbled with my choices But you can go to StoneZone.com or you can go to the WABC, 77 WABC radio website and see the entire list. I got to tell you, John, it's getting harder and harder to do. Coming up with a list of the worst dressed people in the country uh, or the world of Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, or Jill Biden, the first lady of the United States, that part's pretty easy. But coming up with a list of dandies, and swans who are particularly well-dressed, that's getting harder and harder.
2: Uh, Roger, uh, I understand that. And uh, uh, I am in the no-dressed list because I I never pay more than $99 for my sports jackets. Uh, uh, Tell us, uh, we got got primaries coming up in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, Give us your pulse
1: of where do you think we are. Uh, I'm happy to do that. So you have the Iowa caucuses coming up in less than two weeks. Now, remember, this is all about the expectation game. Uh, And uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has set the expectations for himself extraordinarily high. By that, I mean he says he's going to win. Now, win to me is defined as coming in first. Win to me is defined as getting more votes than any other candidate but the polls don't show that the polls show if anything president donald trump has actually lengthened his lead now the president is taking no chances i think he remembers way back in 1980 when ronald reagan went into the iowa caucuses with a 20-point lead in the polls but got upset by uh, george h.w bush who uh, camped out in Iowa uh, and visited all 99 counties. Uh, Donald Trump is not making that mistake. He's there today uh, and tomorrow uh, all day doing I think four or five major commit to caucus uh, events. So he's leaving nothing to chance. Here's what the media will focus on, John. Who is second? In other words, if Nikki Haley who is coming on strong with heavy, heavy uh, cable television, broadcast television, and digital advertising in Iowa, overcomes Ron DeSantis, who's put a a hard year's work uh, into traveling to all 99 counties. Uh, It doesn't really matter. Here's what the headline will be. Haley defeats DeSantis in Iowa in upset, subhead. Trump wins as expected. Uh, that would, of course, give Haley huge momentum going into the New Hampshire primary, which is only one week later, where independents are also allowed to vote. Understood. Uh, and uh,
2: uh, any idea, any feeling, who, how many, which candidates uh, uh, President Trump is uh, uh, possibly uh, going to put in the number two spot?
1: You know, John, I spoke to the president about this on New Year's Eve. I also spoke to him a little bit about it on Christmas Day. Uh, The truth is, uh, if he has a short list, it is known only to him, with this exception. This idea that he has already decided or is inclined to take Nikki Haley for vice president is entirely untrue. He specifically said that that is not his plan. Uh, Now, he didn't say he had ruled her out, but he went on ad nauseum about the problems of her candidacy. Uh, I think he's personally offended because she promised him to his face that he ran again, she would not run, and she has broken her word to him. And, uh, well, in politics, as in business, your word is important. And then, of course, their views are antithetical on foreign policy. We had no new foreign wars under Donald Trump. In fact, he got elected by pledging to end our involvement in these expensive uh, and bloody foreign wars, whereas Nikki Haley is, uh, uh, is an interventionist. She's a neocon uh, who uh, would ship billions more to Ukraine, something Donald Trump is very skeptical about. So all of this talk of a Trump-Haley ticket uh, is uh, is uh, really being pushed by Ron DeSantis uh, and the other opponents of Donald Trump uh, as a wedge. I'll tell you who should be considered, and that's Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. That woman is really a fighter, a strong supporter of the president. Uh, she played a major role uh, in exposing the plagiarism by the president of Harvard, Claudine Gay which ultimately ended up not only uh, exposing Gay's uh, acceptance of anti-Semitism on the Harvard campus, but also the plagiarism that ultimately cost her, her job. I think Elise Stefanik should be on the list.
2: Understood. Well, uh, Roger Stone, I look forward to listening to you Sunday at uh, between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock and on uh, wabcradio.com.
1: Thank you so much. John, God bless you, and Happy New Year.
2: With us today is Jose Santa Maria, an international private banker and chief investment officer for MyFundamentals.net. This is the new year. It's 2024. So many things have happened over the last few years. So many things are happening internationally. Give us your view of what the heck is going on uh, in the world money-wise. Thank you, John. It's great
5: to be uh, with you. I think uh, we have seen a correction or a a, a lowering of interest rates, which have allowed the uh, stock market to do very well in this part of the world. But we have also seen a process of um, radical extremism and terrorism And I wanted to draw some parallelisms with uh, what happened in Spain and in Europe with terrorism in the 80s and the 90s and how it got eliminated or people simply did not support those uh, terrorist ideas any longer.
2: It seems like the world of Europe and the world in uh, in America are two different worlds. Europe has open borders and so many people are coming in from all over the world and america is is trying to duplicate them by keeping their borders open give us the results of what's happening in europe well i think you have uh, a state of uh, welfare uh, in
5: europe which is um, probably too developed and uh, it has uh, as a result it has invited a lot of people to cross the borders but the reality is that um, Part of that movement is the fact that there's no economic development in certain regions of the world near Europe, outside Europe. And what has accelerated those migratory movements are the fact that not only you don't have economic development or sufficient economic development, you also have political wings that have militarized and have gone through academia, universities, and ended uh, in mainstream and become terrorist movements. And that makes people simply not want to live in those regions of the world and run away into Europe, which is, uh, despite all the issues, um, still a safe haven for
2: uh, many people. This is John Katz from TV's. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCradio.com.
6: Joining us now, we have Chris Farrell, who is with Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch has been like front row and center investigating fact from fiction on January 6th. Chris, tell us a little bit of what's been misrepresented on January 6th, and do you know how many, if any, federal agents were around on that day? What do we know?
7: Great to be with you. Thank you very much. Uh, The most important thing you need to know is that today, Judicial Watch filed a $30 million lawsuit on behalf of Aaron Babbitt, that's the widower, the surviving husband of Ashley Babbitt. The only homicide on January 6th, and uh, we're seeking justice on behalf of Aaron Babbitt for Ashley Babbitt uh, to get real answers. That's exactly what happened, get accountability, and get some kind of accounting, some kind of responsibility uh, from the federal government for shooting an underarmed 5 foot two, 100-pound woman uh, by uh, Lieutenant Michael Byrd of the Capitol Police. So that lawsuit was filed today in the Southern District of California in San Diego. We're very proud of that. We need accountability, and it comes at a very good time on,
6: on just about the third anniversary of the January 6th events. Hey, let me ask you real quick, um, Chris, the uh, officer who shot her had a history, right, of, like, he mishandling sure weapons. Talk about he that. Sure and did. has he? Why hasn't he ever, like, been forced to testify? Why didn't they call him on the January 6th committee if it was such yeah, they, a balanced they're, committee? They're, they're
7: terrified of having him go under oath, and they're terrified of having his record examined closely. Uh, in our complaint, which you can find at judicialwatch.org, O-R-G, you can read the complaint and all the details in it. But he has a history. He's got a documented history. He was suspended from his police duties for reckless use of a weapon previously where he was shooting at a car and missed. And the rounds actually went into neighboring homes in a, in a, uh, in a residential area. So this guy's had a, a horrible record when it comes to weapons training and weapons handling. And of course, you know, by
2: his own admission, in a television interview, he said he couldn't even see who he was shooting at. And that woman I mean, died for no reason. Uh, where is this person now?
7: Um, oh, uh, where, where is Lieutenant Byrd now? Yeah, no. yeah. I,
2: I do not know. I do. I do not know his whereabouts. And 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 the the, the big question is: there were uh, many, many, many. Uh, Uh, Federal officers, I'm not going to say which agency, I don't know which agency, within that crowd. Do you have any, does the committee or anybody have any estimates how many and who they were? I don't know the exact number and I don't know which agencies, but we
7: do have the testimony of the FBI Deputy Director for Counterintelligence who was questioned very closely by Senator Ted Cruz over and over again who demanded to know numbers and uh, and placement of undercover operatives. And uh, there's this really disingenuous dissembling that goes on where they do the old, we can either confirm nor deny routine. And so we know, based upon other reporting and, of course, these hearings, that there were federal uh, agents and also confidential human sources, informants, who were out in that crowd, the numbers, and, and who, what, when, where, I don't know. Uh, but there's substantial reporting that there was that sort of activity going on.
2: Who opened the doors? The doors were not broken down, those big doors. Who opened them up?
7: Yeah, you know, there there is substantial video that's been released, in large part due to Judicial Watch litigation, uh, demanding that those records or those videos be released that show Capitol Police officers opening doors and pulling away, uh, you know, the boundary uh, fencing. And so that's, again, this mm-hmm. stuff is publicly available. It's not a big mystery. People can go online and, and view that video where doors are opened and barrier fencing is pulled away and open to allow people to enter. And then there's also a lot of video of, frankly, Capitol Hill police acting like tour guides, directing people around and, Kind of standing there with our arms folded. So it's, it, there's a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to January
1: 6th. Chris, what's also very troubling to me is the fact that the January 6th committee, which really was a committee that was controlled by, by Pelosi, you didn't have even handed Republicans on that committee. She excluded the people that the Republicans really wanted on the committee. They did their interviews, investigations, they have depositions, they had documents, and a large number. No- amount of that material, the evidence, the depositions, the documents, have disappeared. It's contrary to the rules of the Congress. Those records have disappeared, and that tells you something, too, doesn't it, Chris?
7: It sure does. Really, there was a Stalinist show trial. It was nothing like any sort of legitimate give-and-take question and and rebuttal. Uh, The entire operation was, was run really like something out of out of style it, it was all all show no go uh, a lot of one-sided gamesmanship and as you mentioned judge the documentation you know the deposition transcripts photographs video poof gone
6: yeah well chris farrell keep us posted on the lawsuit uh, big news and thank you for separating fact from fiction about january 6 we really well, appreciate it thank you thank, thank you, you.
2: Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a
0: nice Sunday.